Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry... We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Today, Rupert Murdoch is stepping down as chairman of Fox News and the Fox News Corporation. House Republicans leave for vacation after failing to reach a solution to the looming government shutdown. Jack Smith files a proposed gag order in the D.C. coup case. Senate Republicans confirm Mark Milley's replacement for chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And a judge denies an Oath Keeper's motion for acquittal. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, happy Friday, Dana. Happy Friday. We got through another week, at least so far. So so far, so good. I know we're time lapsing, so we still have one more day for us, but hopefully we, <laughs> we get through tomorrow. Well, you know, I know you're not in California right now, but the weekend starts Thursday night here. So, you know, True. I guess it's okay. We do have a happy hour tonight, Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. So if you're a patron of this show, you may join us and uh, ask me questions. Also, I'd like to thank everyone who showed up for the post platform ask me anything the ama went really really well we had hundreds of comments and i answered as many as i could i I was only going to be there for 30 minutes but i stuck around for an hour because the questions were just so great 
So if you have a chance to follow me on post, you can actually look and see all of those questions and replies. You can follow me there by clicking on the link in the show notes or the link in my Twitter bio. Um, I like it over there. So uh, we had a we had a great time. Thanks to everyone who showed up for that. Later in this show, I'm going to be talking with Kat Calvin. She has a new book out called American Identity in Crisis, Notes from an Accidental Activist. You remember she was on the show talking about how and why it's so important for every American to have identification and how she's working with the government and Congress to make sure that we all do. I think that that's a, a really important thing to focus on, especially with 2024 coming up. Oh, yeah. There's so many, so many other reasons to get ID. And we talk about that and her new book, which you can get now wherever you get your books. Again, it's called American Identity in Crisis Notes from an Accidental Activist. So please pick up a copy. She she says it's short, it's pink and it's funny. So (laughs) it's kind of work. All right. We have a quick hit. Uh, Thanks to the eagle eye of Roger Parloff, a senior editor at Lawfare. We now have Jack Smith's proposed gag order for Trump in the D.C. coup case. Now, it's a partial gag. You don't want to call it a full gag because it doesn't prevent him from saying everything. And Andy and I will go over that in detail on this weekend's Jack podcast. So you definitely want to check that out. If you haven't listened yet, now's a good time because there could be some more charges coming down the road. That's right. And if you want a full gag order, just listen to Cassidy Hutchinson explain her interaction with Rudy Giuliani. (gasps) That'll give you a full gag. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Or his interaction with anyone. Dunphy or. (laughs) So gross. All right, uh, everybody, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, Republicans in disarray. From Politico, Speaker Kevin McCarthy suffered yet another stinging defeat on Thursday as a handful of conservatives tanked a key vote that was supposed to signal the way out of days of intraparty bickering. Instead, GOP hardliners again blockaded the floor for the second time in three days, leaving McCarthy unable to call the party's own defense spending bill to the floor, not even to vote on it, just to argue about it. This time, though, it came as a shock to many GOP leaders who believed they had won over enough holdouts to finally bring up the Pentagon funding bill. Perhaps more ominously, the ultra-conservatives' gambit proved what many in the GOP had already suspected, that McCarthy is essentially powerless to avert a government closure that could begin on October 1st. Across the conference, House Republicans erupted in fury. Quote, this is painful. It gives me a headache. This is a very difficult series of missteps by our conference. That's Rep. Steve Womack, a Republican from Arkansas. Uh, Speaking to Politico, if you can't do the defense bill, what can you do? It's the defense bill. (laughs) Walking down the steps of the Capitol after the failed vote, battleground rep Anthony Desposito, Republican from New York, too, vented about the hardliners. Quote, at this point, it seems like there's just some people playing policy warfare, and I think we need to move our country forward, he said. We're pretty frustrated. The setback throws the next House schedule once again into limbo, with McCarthy's plans for a weekend session highly likely to evaporate. Jake Sherman said he got text messages from GOP leadership that included fucking chaos and total shit show. We are very dysfunctional right now. That's Rep. Tim Burchett, Republican from Tennessee. And he added that the failure proves that the GOP leaders, quote, obviously can't count. <laughs> Unlike Democrats, he said, Speaker Pelosi, lover or hater, she put something out there and they'd rally around it. So there you have the Republicans calling Nancy Pelosi an effective speaker now. That's how bad McCarthy is. 
McCarthy had vowed that the House would work through the weekend to find solutions to the crisis with votes expected through Saturday. But now he's canceled the votes for Friday and the whole weekend, telling members they'll get ample notice if votes are scheduled. All right. Thank you, A.G. And this is from Adam Klasfeld. We love him. A D.C. district judge has denied a motion of acquittal after the first oath keeper to be charged as a January 6th defendant. And that's Thomas Caldwell requested his jury conviction of obstruction be thrown out. Judge Amit Mehta rejected Caldwell's motion on Rule 29, ruling that there is sufficient evidence to find that Caldwell knowingly aided and abetted two other defendants and corruptly obstructed an official proceeding, upholding both of his felony convictions. Caldwell, who testified that he was being, and I quote, a little bit of a goof when he made derogatory comments about then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and then-Vice President Mike Pence, did not enter the Capitol building on January 6th, and was acquitted, by the way, of seditious conspiracy charges, which led his legal team to question the evidence in his other convictions prompting the motion. However, Meta cited multiple instances that supported his ruling, including Caldwell's telling a fellow Oath Keeper that he had a room for them to stage materials should things go high order. His repeated efforts to get a boat so they could bring in a heavy weapons team across the Potomac River and deleted communications between him and two other January 6th defendants. So there's a lot of there there. Now, another aspect of the motion asked for Caldwell's tampering with evidence conviction to be overturned. But Judge Meta rejected that as well. Caldwell, a 68-year-old Navy veteran, by the way, from Virginia, is the only Oath Keeper still awaiting sentencing for his involvement in the Capitol attack. And the hearing will be held on November 16th. Yep. And and there were some legal experts who thought that he might be able to get these thrown out, but nope. And that keeps Merrick Garland's uh, batting average at a thousand. He is still 100 percent in jury trials for uh, convictions or partial convictions. And from CBS, Rupert Murdoch, the longtime head of News Corp and Fox, will step down as chairman and take on the role of chairman emeritus, capping a seven decade career that built a media dynasty ranging from cable television to tabloid newspapers and turned him into one of the world's most influential and evil media executives. Lachlan Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch's eldest son, will become the sole chair of News Corp and continue as executive and CEO of Fox Corp. This is not, by the way, a, a retelling of, or a reading of the transcript of the show Succession. This is actually <laughs> happening. Fox announced Thursday, Rupert Murdoch will take on his new role at the company's next shareholder meetings, which are scheduled for mid-November. Rupert Murdoch, who is 92, exit News Corp and Fox at a time the media businesses are facing a number of challenges, including the fallout from a bruising trial, a nearly $800 million settlement over a defamation lawsuit after Fox News aired unfounded claims that Dominion voting system equipment was used to rig the 2020 presidential election. Now, Murdoch became one of the foremost media executives of the last half century by building an extensive network of tabloids, cable and broadcast television, and entertainment assets, many known for espousing conservative ideas. He's also one of the world's wealthiest media executives, net worth of $8.3 billion, according to Bloomberg. Quote, he used the outlets in the UK, Australia, and the US to achieve certain types of policy outcomes, and particularly certain types of political results, earning favors from politicians who were able to trade in for political advantage. That's David Folkenflik, author of Murdoch's World, The Last of the Old Media Empires, and NPR's media correspondent, speaking to CBS. He added, quote, think of the invasion of Iraq in 2003, which he prompted through Fox News, through the New York Post, and the Weekly Standard, which gave ballast to then-President George Bush. 
But Murdoch's support of conservative viewpoints also fed into political outcomes now viewed as disastrous, such as Brexit in the UK. And in the U.S., Murdoch privately disparaged former President Trump, even as some Fox News hosts were promoting his falsehoods about the 2020 election, with the latter leading to Fox News' massive settlement with Dominion. Murdoch allowed Fox News hosts to promote election conspiracies, quote, in order to try to hold on to Trump's core voters, who were many of Fox News's core viewers. That's what Falkenflick said. With Rupert Murdoch stepping back from a leadership role, Lachlan Murdoch's role is solidified as his father's successor, and he will oversee tabloids, including the New York Post, as well as Fox News and Fox Entertainment. In a memo shared with CBS News, Murdoch underscored that he is stepping back while he's in good health, but added that, quote, the time is right for me to take on different roles. Okay, thank you, A.G. And this is from Politico. The Senate overwhelmingly approved Air Force General C.Q. Brown to be the military's top officer Wednesday night, though a months-long blockade by Senator Tommy Tuberville is still leaving over 300 senior officers in limbo. The 83-11 vote to confirm Brown as Joint Chiefs Chair was a surprise development amid Alabama Republicans' promotions hold, but what he's holding the entire Senate hostage right now. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who for months refused to hold standalone votes on military nominees, teed up votes on three of President Joe Biden's Joint Chiefs pick after Tuberville forced Democrats' hand. Now, Tuberville instituted the hold in protest of the Pentagon's policy of reimbursing troops who must travel to obtain abortions or other reproductive care. Brown, now the Air Force Chief of Staff, is a historic pick, by the way. He comes just the second Black officer to lead Joint Chiefs after Army General Colin Powell, and as Air Force Chief Brown was the first Black military service chief. Now, Brown's confirmation also averts another unprecedented senior vacancy when Mark Milley steps down, General Mark Milley, from the top post at the end of the month. The nominee blockade has already resulted in three spots on Joint Chiefs, the head of the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps, going without Senate confirmation leaders, all three of them. And this is a quote. In the end, the Senate will overwhelmingly vote to overcome Senator Tuberville's blockade of these three nominees, and the abortion policy that Senator Tuberville abhors will remain in place. That's from Schumer. He went on to say, but the harm he is doing to the military and their families remains and, unfortunately, continues for hundreds of others. The Senate is slated to also vote to confirm General Randy George and General Eric Smith. These are Biden's picks to lead the Army and the Marines, respectively, on Thursday. Both nominees, who are their service's number two officers, they're performing those jobs on an acting basis. But those three are just a fraction of the more than 300 senior promotions that are still in limbo, as Tuberville refuses to allow their speedy confirmation. Tuberville alone can't block anyone's confirmation and has insisted Democrats can just simply hold votes on individual picks. And we covered in a different story a few weeks ago how long that would take if they did individual picks, and it would take weeks, literally now into months months four months four months 700 hours roughly yeah and and so they're doing the army and the marine but not the navy and i'm like what why um so we'll see if they end up doing that um uh, next uh, as an individual vote and i'll be traveling with to dc with vote vets at the end of this month to lobby lawmakers to lift that hold and to fight the government shutdown because if the government shuts down, our military, our active duty service members, men and women and everyone, who, people who are in the military, will be doing their jobs without getting paid. 
So um, we're going to fight that in D.C. in a couple weeks. After the break, we'll have the good news. But first, an interview with Kat Calvin about her new book, American Identity in Crisis, Notes from an Accidental Activist, and her fight to get every American an identification card. Stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am honored to be joined again by my friend, voting rights expert, lawyer, activist, and author of the new book, American Identity in Crisis, Notes from an Accidental Activist. Please welcome Kat Calvin. Hello. So glad to be back. It's so good to see you again. And I know that everybody who listened to our discussion about uh, ID and the identification deserts that we have (laughs) in our country uh, is going to be so glad to hear, as I was, that there is now a book out. It came out on September 19th. You can get it wherever you get your books about this subject that we talked about so earnestly and that you are advocating for just vehemently, um, because it's just such an important issue. So remind us what we talked about last time. And what was the catalyst to to put this book out? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so happy to continue this conversation. So you know, last time we sort of went over a lot of the, the basics of sort of what we do and why, right? So I'm um, there are 26 million American adults in this country who don't have photo ID. It's 11% of adults in the country. And without that, you know, you can't get jobs, housing, public services, bank accounts, et cetera. Um, You can't vote in 36 states. There's so many different things. You need need an ID for everything. Uh, And so while we, you know, our organization, Spread the Vote Plus Project ID, works on the ground across the country helping people get IDs. And then we have our 501c4, the Project ID Action Fund, that is working on policy solutions so that we can just get everyone IDs. Uh, You know, I'm just, I'm constantly and have been for years now trying to just get the message out there because this is a problem nobody knows about. And so I'm, I'm always just trying to get more and more people to hear that there's an issue to understand it so that we can build a movement that then will solve it. And, uh, and, you know, it just seemed that writing a book would be potentially one of the best ways to be able to get that message out there. So I was super lucky to be able to, to write a book and, and, have it out in, it only took what, two and a half years, which is pretty quick in the publishing industry. <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. That's it's right uh, on top of it. Yeah. So that, so it, it's, I'm really, really thrilled that it's out now and that it's, it's going to hopefully expand the conversation, expand the movement and get us really moving forward on the issue. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about some of those issues, because as you and I discussed before, this goes so far beyond voting, mm-hmm. um, although that is a huge, important part of, of having an identification you know, and just Josh Shapiro just the other day was like, when you go in and get your ID, you will be automatically registered to vote. But there's that thing again, too, right? It's tied to that identification. But now since we've talked, we are seeing more and more exponential increase, uh, I would say, in climate crisis disasters. And without an ID, if you're displaced because of a fire or a flood, and this is just going to continue, it's just going to keep keep happening that that can very negatively impact you and how you get your FEMA assistance or any I mean just anything talk a little bit about about that because 
that's one of the things I was dying to talk to you about is how important ID is, you know, not just for other things. And we'll talk about other things, but just for that alone and the increase in the climate crisis and, and natural disasters. It is, you know, so we we work in Florida and North Carolina and Texas and all of these states, Louisiana, that have hurricanes regularly. And so for years now, we've seen like every year there's a hurricane season and then there are people who need uh, their documents because they lost them and you can't get FEMA assistance without an ID. Um, and uh, and so we, we have been seeing that for years, but now like it's happening more and more. So I live in Los Angeles, famously a very sunny and drought filled place. And for the first quarter of the year, it rained, it stormed every single day for three months. Like we've never seen anything like it. Uh, but we have 75,000 people who are living in the streets. And so we had people coming to us regularly because all of their documents were washed away, you know, and you're lucky if you're unhoused and you've managed to hold on to your documents, you're so lucky. It's so rare. And then storms come and you don't have anywhere safe to put them. And so they get washed away. And we see, you know, I actually was just doing an interview this morning with, um, this awesome guy who is a lawyer and he was doing pro bono work in Maui after the fires. And he said he had so many clients who, you know, the Maui fires hit fast. And so they managed to get themselves and their kids in the car and out and nothing else. And if they had waited 30 more seconds, they would have died. Everything burned up. And so then they're going to these pro bono lawyers. They have absolutely nothing to show who they are. And you can't get any assistance without an ID, right? And so this is now something that is going beyond where we've been used to seeing it in those sort of hurricane-ridden places where we know it happens every year. Um, although, and in the book, I talk about, um, actually, I think two different gentlemen who lost their IDs in hurricanes in Florida and then didn't get them replaced for years until they found us that's so difficult. Uh, and we're seeing that now over and over again. And so, and, and of course, the people who are um, impacted the most by climate change, right, are not the rich people who had private firemen <laughs> in Maui, or we had the same thing when we had the, the fires in Southern California, like, they're fine, right? It's the most vulnerable people, the most vulnerable people are the ones who are caught in hurricanes are caught in rain. Um, and so when we talk about climate change hurting the most vulnerable first, it is. And those are also the people for whom it is the most difficult to get those documents replaced. Yeah. And there's so many factors that weigh into it. Multiple people, multiple generations living in households. And if you don't have your ID, your your birth certificate certainly was lost in the fire or the flood. And, and so you just have absolutely no documentation to prove who you are. And that can be a real, real challenge, as you've said. And that's so cool because, yeah, you in the book, you outlined those lawyers doing that pro bono work. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of that uh, in the future as this crisis, you know, becomes more tangible for for folks. Uh, because, you know, a lot of a lot of times with people, they don't realize there's a problem until it happens to them. And I think we're going to yeah. start seeing a bunch of uh, new new people uh, suddenly waking up to this problem because it, it's going to happen to them. Let's also talk a little bit about the ideas for an inclusive democracy act because we you know we all we talk a lot about problems, 
but you also bring solutions. Yep. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, spoiler for anyone who reads the book, there is a solution in it. Um, <laughs> we have a bill in Congress called the IDs for an Inclusive Democracy Act, and what that would do is establish a free and optional federal ID for Americans 14 and up. So beyond the 26 million adults who don't have IDs, it would actually help more than 30 million people. Um, and there, I have a whole chapter in the book about sort of young people and why they need help getting IDs. And so this is why it was really important for us to expand that. And, you know, the thing that I am really excited about with the bill is that, uh, first of all, you would not have to go to the DMV. You would get it through post offices and libraries, which are, first of all, who doesn't love a library and a librarian? And libraries are already places that um, are real centers for people who are vulnerable. In fact, a lot of libraries are starting to hire social workers because they're doing so much work helping folks um, with jobs, with housing. I've spoken to so many librarians across the country who are like, I'm so excited. We're already, we're constantly getting help or getting asked to help get IDs and we don't know what to do. And so um, we really wanted to expand that. But also there are far more post offices and libraries in every state than DMVs. And particularly for folks who don't have transportation, for folks who live in rural areas, it makes it a lot more accessible. And plus, Look, I, I've made some bad life choices. I'm at the DMV almost every day <laughs> questioning why I do what I do. It's not a place. I, and I love some of the DMV workers. They're some of my favorite DMVs, but no one wants to be there all the time. And the DMV workers don't want us there all the time. So if we can remove some of the work from there, all the better. But, you know, it really will be the thing that solves this problem. And that puts us on par with pretty much every other country in the world. We are the only country that has this issue. We are the only country that doesn't have a huge percentage of the adults in our country ID'd so that they can access basic services, jobs, et cetera. So it would make it so that, you know, I say overnight, but it's the government. So it would take forever. <laughs> There'll be a million different things, but that when it's done, everyone will just have an ID and this will not be a thing we have to talk about anymore. And it will solve so many of the issues that we're seeing right now. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And it's my real hope is that people read the book and really understand the issue and then get to the final part and say, see, Oh, there's a solution. Let me call my member of Congress right now and tell them to support this bill. Yeah. And not only that, but we can do it locally in our local governments and, and expand the need for that, too. And so the more people get their eyes on this book, the more people on the ground that, you know, can do something from uh, city council membership up to mayorship and their state and local legislatures and assemblies and senates. And I think that that is also uh, something that we'll see. We'll see that sort of ground up sort of grassroots type of, well, let's do this, at least in my town. Yeah. And I think that that is uh, one of the wonderful things about this as well. And that's, you know, something we're we're working on while we're trying to get the bill passed through Congress is working on all levels of government. So we actually we have a bill that just landed on Gavin Newsom's desk in California that would make driver's licenses, which cost forty one dollars in California, free for unhoused folks. It would also make birth certificates free for low income Californians. So thirty dollars each. And so that would be that's a huge step in helping people be able to not just get IDs, which you need a birth certificate for, um, but also access school and jobs and all the things that you need IDs for, housing, which you need your birth certificate for. But, you know, and we're working, we uh, we have two incredible New York City Council members who we endorsed in New York, um, who are working to expand IDNYC, which is New York's municipal ID, to actually make it a lot more accessible and a lot more useful. And so you're exactly right. We are trying to work 
all across the country at all different levels to increase access while we also work on this big federal um, plan that to, you know, fully solve the problem. Do you sleep? Oh, gosh, at least I love sleep. Sleep is one of my favorite things. (laughs) Me too. I carve out time for it specifically because it's so wonderful. Um, Is there anything that you ran across in doing research? Because you were so well versed in, in the need for IDs. Was there anything that you learned that was new that surprised you in the research for this book? So the way that the book is written is that pretty much each chapter is broken up into sort of different demographics, veterans, young people, formerly incarcerated, so we can really dive into the issues of each. And I have a chapter on folks with disabilities. We work with a lot of people who have disabilities. There's a big ID need in the community. Um, And I had to dive into the research on how to get social security. And I almost lost my mind. I was throwing things. I was yelling at everybody. There's a whole section in the in the that chapter that it's really about IDs. It's just about how archaic and cruel the process is that we make people go through to get social security disability insurance. And it's it's it was so infuriating that I was just I was burning up. And I have friends who are just really great disability activists who are all like, as I was yelling about it, they're like, yeah, we know. And I was like, I did not know it was this hard. Um, and it was so frustrating. And it just, you know, it just showed, I think, one of the the things that you realize when you work with really vulnerable targeted communities for so long is that there's never just one problem, right? It's never oh, I just don't have an ID. It's I don't have an ID and a safe place or secure place to sleep and a job and I can't get disability insurance and like, and, 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 and. Like there's so many things on top of each other and doing the research around, you know, I think I think the, the way that we treat people with disabilities in this country is really, there is almost no one except indigenous people who we treat worse. Um, and that that research was it was so infuriating. I still don't actually have like an articulate way to talk about it because I just get so angry. Yeah, you should check out the VA one of these days. Oh, there's I also have a whole chapter on the VA. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And their fun process um, and, you know, their identification processes. Oh, yes. Because, again, if you are a veteran and you do not have the proper ID, no. you cannot get benefits. Uh, it's it's infuriating. It is. And I in the in the veterans chapter in the book, I break down because so many people always say, oh, well, there's a veterans ID. And I'm like, yeah, it'll get you 10% off at Red Ramen. So I break down all the different types of veterans IDs and what it takes to get each one for exactly that reason, because people don't realize. And why should they, right? We all say, oh, there's this veterans ID. No one knows. And until you actually look at it and realize like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not serving veterans at all. Hmm. Yeah, no, mine expires here in a couple of years. And that just gives me a, like this looming anxiety that I'm going to have to go yeah. through the process to get it renewed. Yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that you covered that in the book as well. And mine is on the way. Oh. I mean, to prep for this interview, I, I, you know, I read a few chapters. And so I can't wait to dig into the rest of this. And I, I hope everybody, I encourage everyone who wants to get something done about this, because like you said in the book, this is a solvable problem. It is something that we can fix and not with too much rigmarole. So I I encourage everybody to pick it up. It's available wherever 
you get your books. It's outstanding. It's called American Identity in Crisis, Notes from an Accidental Activist. And I'm so glad to talk to you again. And I can't wait to see you again here. We'll have you back on in the next few months to see how it's going, especially gearing up to 2024. Because again, there's you need an ID for everything. But I'm really interested to see where we are and how far we've come with with, you know, all of these oppressive, especially to marginalized communities, voter ID laws, which just honestly, when we talk about human rights and why it's important to have uh, an ID, we talk about civil rights and you're, you know, making it difficult for for people to vote. And that just blows my mind every time. And but it's such a small part of this problem. And I'm so glad that you're addressing it. I appreciate your time today. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, just, you know, I'm the book. It's short. I throw in some jokes. It's pink. So <laughs> it's an easy read. And I, I really do hope that uh, people come out of it with a much clearer understanding of what this issue is and why it's so, so incredibly important that we solve it right now. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Feed your brain. Get it wherever books are sold. Kat Calvin, I appreciate you. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, everyone. Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you have misheard song lyrics or frog orgy photos or baby pictures or pod pet tax, and if you don't have pod pet tax, you can give a shout out to an adoptable pet in your area or give us a shout out to a loved one, your spouse, uh, your kid, your parents, a friend, or yourself. We love to hear about that. Maybe a small business in your area that could use the support or your business. Anything you want to send to us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. First up from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hello, ladies. This is a shout out to AG. I was driving with my teenage daughter. I usually play music with my kids in the car because my dad always used to make me listen to talk radio when I was in the car with him. And I swore I would never do that to my kids. But I was listening to the beans and we were almost at the good news. And I thought even my kids should hear the good news. As Dana starts the introduction, if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, frog orgies... <laughs> My daughter. Hey, looks just at me so you says, know, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. Daughter looks at me and says, "What's an orgy?" Oh, I calmly boy. respond with, "That's when a whole bunch of people, or in this case, frogs, have sex together at the same time." To which she responds, "Gross." So, <laughs> thanks to AG for allowing me to discuss a sex ed topic with my 13 year old daughter that I wasn't planning on talking about ever. LOL. Thanks so much to you both. For all that you do. I love you both individually. But when you're together, your laughter is infectious and it makes me giggle. Mary, I want you to look up Patton Oswalt's orgy story. Um, and probably don't play it for your daughter. But give it a listen. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> all right. Here we go. This is from Marcy D. Pronouns she and her Ooh. born in Albuquerque. Yes. So confession time. Until Jamie Buffett died this month and I actually looked up the lyrics, I thought he sang... I spent four lonely days in a brown Nilly haze in come Monday <laughs> instead of brown L.A. haze. Just a brown Nilly haze. It never seemed to matter that I didn't know what a Nilly was. Keep doing what you do. Pet tax. My beloved Bailey, who passed away in January at 16 and a half years old. We always thought he was a Beagle Dachshund mix, but never found out for sure. He's pictured here with my now six, uh, six-year-old son. 
We miss him so much. Oh, oh the baby. <laughs> yeah, both. Look at the both of the babies. So sweet. 16 and a half. That is a wow. long time. It is. Yeah, it looks like a looks like a beagle doxy to me as well. <laughs> That's a good guess. Very cute. Thank you for that. Next up from Trisilla 77 pronoun she and her. I am just excited. The Tennessee finally has a Democratic Senate candidate that could actually beat Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Gloria Johnson is an amazing candidate and part of the Tennessee Three. Sometimes it's hard being blue in a deeply red state. But while the last few months have shown how horrible some of the elected officials are here in Tennessee, it also gives me hope because people are finally paying attention and they're ready to take action. I've attached my pet tax. This is our this is four of our five. <laughs> Paisy is the tan one on the end. Then there's Stripe, the big guy at the top. Patches is the black one. And the last baby is Haley. The only one missing is Nala. The thanks for all the hard work you do and keep up the good fight. Let's keep causing good trouble for the GOP. Uh-huh. Look at... Where do Dude, you sleep? That's a, that's a good brood. I know, seriously. <laughs> They're all four <laughs> on the bed. And then Nala's not even here. I'm like, where do you sleep? Where do you sleep, Priscilla? Oh, my goodness. All right, this one's from Anonymous. Pronoun she and her. Hello, ladies of the Illuminati. I want to give a shout out to our Cherokee County, North Carolina, Democratic Party Executive Committee. For the first time in seven years, the county party held a Democratic event. Last Saturday, we had about 30 people show up to enjoy free food, door prizes, and great company. North Carolina State Treasurer candidate Wesley Harris drove all the way out here to speak to our gathering as well. Our party chair, Diane Snyder, asked those in attendance to either think about running for local office next year or to try and recruit people to run. A few of the executive committee even committed right then and there to be volunteers for anyone who wants to run. Diane told us we win just by being on the ballot because we are not just handing the election to the MAGA Republicans if we know we can't win. Now, it was so nice to have a safe space to gather as Democrats in this very, very red corner of North Carolina, and many of us left feeling energized. Here's a photo with candidate Harris and several members of our executive committee. Pod Pet Tax is a picture of two ducks who just kept hanging around. <laughs> Pretty sure they were just trying to mooch off the group, but maybe they enjoyed the Democratic message too. Thanks for all you do to help keep us informed and sharing all the good news to keep people motivated. Look at this. What a great, what a great looking group. I love it. And the and, ducks are cute too. And the ducks. Did you have and bread? Because wherever there's bread, there's ducks. So great. That's awesome work, And by the way, and so cool for for him to drive all the way out there to to speak to your group that's so rad i love democrats so much next up from anonymous fangirl pronoun she and her hello and happy anniversary to me yesterday marked the one-year anniversary since i became a listener i was hooked at the end of the first episode i really wish i could remember how we met but alas i don't recall thank you ag dg and the entire beans crew for your hard work it completes my morning ritual of drinking my coffee while sitting on my sofa with the dogs as the sun comes up Thanks for nice. helping me start my day. Please keep on keeping on. Pet tax, those two dogs, Tito and Louie, enjoying our ritual on a recent vacation. We take our routine very seriously. Note from our production team, that episode would have been Kai's Tries from Norm Eisen, featuring Norm Eisen on September 21st, 2022. Show description. Former Trump lawyer Eric Hirschman warned Donald last year about the illegality of stealing government documents. Trump lawyers respond to the special master Judge Deary's demands ahead of their Tuesday hearing. 
another associate of Matt Gates's co-conspirator Joel Greenberg. Michael, Sh- wait, 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 another associate of Matt Gates's co-conspirator Joel Greenberg. Michael Shirley has been indicted on federal bribery charges. Donald's lawyers respond to the DOJ's appeal to the 11th Circuit, which didn't uh, the work. asylum. <laughs> nope, boy, she got embarrassed. The asylum seekers flown to Martha's Vineyard have filed suit against Governor Ron DeSantis and his transportation secretary. And Judge Deary takes Trump's lawyers to school during their first hearing in Brooklyn. Plus, Allison and Dana deliver the good news. That's a nice trip down memory lane. Look at the puppers. Yeah. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Look at that second picture. <laughs> that is so cute. The guy in the back. Ah, I know. <laughs> so good. I love it. All right. This is from Jennifer. Pronouns she and her. Hello, Beansters. My husband loves you guys as much as I do. AG, since you shared a Navy story and with your history as a Navy vet, I wanted to share this funny with you. My brother was on the nuke subs during the Cold War, and our family was allowed to send family grams, short 25 word radio transmitted messages. My mother was a wordsmith, taking weeks to craft our message. My favorite has to be, wind came, shed went. (laughs) When a windstorm (laughs) took out our tool shed. But the funniest was when my mom tried to send birthday wishes to my brother and I. Our birthdays are two days apart, and we also both had red hair. So she wrote, happy birthday, red one and red two. (laughs) One morning before her coffee and cigarette, she got a call from Navy Intelligence and was trying to explain she wasn't a Russian asset and having to rewrite on the fly. Oh, my God. Thank you for your service, AG. My family has a strong history of military service. I'm a fellow vet of the Air Force and Army. Oh, both Air Force and Army. Jennifer, first of all, cool name. And thanks. And thanks to your brother on a nuke submarine uh, in the Cold War. I, I love this. 25 words or less. Wind came, shed went. And then having to put happy birthday, red one and red two, and having the government call you and say, are you, are you calling? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um, I would, you know, what would be cool and I'd be really interested in Jennifer is if you have any of those family grams, those would be fun to read um, and go over. Uh, just oh to my see God, how you pack everything into 25 words. I think people would be really interested in seeing those. So if you have any more, feel free to share them. And if you have any good news, any of you, please send it to us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. I'll see you all at the happy hour patrons uh, for our patrons tonight at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 Eastern. If you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash wrote. And if you can't swing uh, a membership uh, financially or you want to help somebody who can't do it, it's just 36 bucks a year for the premium feed. And you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on patrons helping patrons. So thank you all so much. It's been a heck of a week. We'll do a wrap up this weekend. And please listen to the Jack podcast uh, this Sunday. And again, if you have a chance to go check out my AMA on post, it is up and you can read all of the questions and responses. Uh, Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here for the weekend? I think you're uh, not going to be with us Monday and Tuesday, but you'll be back Wednesday. That is correct. I'm going to be traveling. I have an HRC gala um, in St. Louis on Saturday, which wouldn't cause a problem with recording. But then I'm going to go to an event in Dallas to also raise money for the human rights campaign. So thanks for covering me for those two days. Hey, thanks for raising tens of millions of dollars. Um, My pleasure. (laughs) We appreciate you and all the work that you do. And I'm always happy to cover you. I've got your back, my friend. Everybody, I will be back in your hip. I'll be back in your ears this Sunday with Jack and then uh, Monday and Tuesday with the beans. And then Dana will join us after that. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. 
And please take everyone you know with you. Early voting starts in Virginia today. Go vote, everybody. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.